about the names of God. Ask him about the character of God that's demonstrated uh, by the different names of God. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, I encourage you to open up to the book of Matthew chapter 19 as we continue to walk through the book of Matthew. As we continue to walk through the book of Matthew, we're in Matthew chapter 19 this morning. We'll be reading verses 13 through 30. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 30. Matthew chapter 19, verse 13. Then some of the children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands upon them, pray, and the disciples rebuked him. Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. And behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things that I have kept, What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions. Give to the poor. You shall have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. When the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say... I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let's pray. Father, may you give us eyes to hear. May you give us eyes to see, may you give us ears to hear what you would have us to say. Or may you speak to our hearts this morning, may we hear your word. May you convict us of our own prejudices, our own failures. Or may we see the gospel of grace. May we see a heavenly father who longs to lavish upon His children grace and mercy and love and compassion. And may we, as the church, be Your hands and feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I pray that this morning, that as you leave this place, that you will see that man's ways are not like God's ways. God's ways are not like man's ways. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. We see God raising up broken men, broken vessels, and using them. God taking that which the world rejected, that which the world despised, and God used it for His glory. We see this in the anointing of King David, that David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. And when Samuel goes to anoint 
the new king of Israel, he goes to Jesse. He said, Jesse, one of your boys is going to be king. And Jesse gets all full of pride and says, well, clearly it's going to be my oldest, my, my strapping son who is, who is big and strong and, and has all of the, the physical abilities and all of the, the tangible. And, and Samuel says, no. And he passes down through all of Jesse's sons. And he says, you had any other kids? So I got one that's out in the field. But... He's just a runt. He, he's, he's, he, it's not him. Jesse says, call him, and they anoint David. And we're reminded in Samuel that God looks at the heart while man looks at the outward appearance. Well, I pray this morning that you will see that God's ways are not like man's ways, and man's ways are not like God's ways. I'm going to put a couple pictures up on the screen, and I'm going to ask a, a rhetorical question. I don't want you to answer, uh, because if you do, uh, then you're going to reveal your heart, and, and we don't want to do that just yet. We want our heart to be revealed to God, not to our neighbor. Uh, but I'm going to put a couple pictures up here, and I want to ask this question, a hypothetical question. If this guy or girl walked into the church, how would we receive him? So, Brother Chris, why don't you put up the first slide. If this guy walks into the church... How would we receive him? We'd probably invite him to Sunday school. We would probably, you know, let him know that, you know, we have men's prayer breakfast on the first Sunday of every month. We would, you know, make sure uh, that we let him know that there are tithe offerings that are in the, uh, in the, in the chair in front of them. And, and we would make sure that, that, we, that, that we made this guy feel welcome in our church. Why? Why? Because he looks like us. Because he, he looks like he could be our neighbor, our co-worker, our, our uncle, our relative. He looks like us. He looks like he's got money. He looks like he is successful. Put up the next slide. This guy walks into our church. How do we receive him? Do we invite him to men's prayer breakfast? Do we make sure that we let him know about the offering envelope in the back of the pew, in the back of the chair in front of him? What about the next guy? We see this guy walk into our church or walk by the sidewalk in front of the church because chances are he'll never be inside the doors of the church. What do we say? How do we welcome this guy? If this guy walks into our congregation, is he as welcome as the first guy? Do we make sure we invite him to men's prayer breakfast? Do we make sure that we let him know that we're having a work day this coming Saturday and we'd love for him to come out and, 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 and help us paint? Now this guy shows up. We want to make sure we invite him to our life group. We want to make sure that we're buddies with him because after all, he may take us on that jet. Whenever we're going, whenever we're going on vacation, maybe he can hook us up. Maybe he, can, maybe he has connections, and we want to make sure we get to know this guy. What happens whenever we see her? It's my belief that whenever we read the Bible, we read it 
with a filter. We all do. When we hear Jesus talking to sinners, we think Jesus is talking to church members who simply do bad things. When we hear Jesus eating and sharing a meal with the sinners that the Pharisees accused him of, we don't see Jesus sitting with the tattooed and the pierced and the drug addict. We see Jesus sitting with the workaholic. We see Jesus sitting with the the wealthy, who the tax gatherer who has come about his wealth by, by not so ethical means. But we see Jesus in a different way than I think the Bible portrays him. I want us to go to this text. I want us to look. If we go to Matthew chapter 19, we see that Jesus is blessing the little children and Jesus' confrontation with the rich young ruler are put together in all three of the synoptic gospels. These are not two separate occasions, two separate events that just happen to be right next to each other. In all three of the synoptic gospels, in Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, and in Luke's gospel, we see Jesus blessing the little children followed immediately by the story of the rich young ruler because there's something there All three of the authors, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are contrasting something for us. And so we need to understand and we need to see what it is that Jesus is contrasting. Jesus, in this passage, is going to accept those whom the disciples expected him to reject. And he's going to reject those whom the disciples expected him to accept. I want us to look at the text. Verse 13, then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands upon them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. Now, this is foreign to us because the way that children were received and the way that children were perceived in first century Palestine is completely different than the way that we perceive children today. Today, we idolize children. We exalt children. Uh, I talked about this a few, uh, a few months ago. Uh, whenever we get together as a family, who gets to eat first? The kids. The kids get to eat first. We make sure that now, now part of it is selfish because we want to be able to sit down and enjoy our meal. and We don't want to be, be interrupted with, with mom I need or dad I need or, or grandma can you get me. So, so we, we feed the children and then send them outside so we can have, so we can have 30 minutes of peace and quiet while we eat. But, but in the first century, children would have gotten what was left over, if there was anything left over. Children in the first century Palestine would have been considered irrelevant. They would have, there would have been a disdain placed upon children. There would have been, they would have been seen as, as silly. They would have been seen as immature They would have been seen as insignificant. They would be expected to be seen and to to not be heard. They were were not exalted. They were considered to be replaceable. They were considered to be insignificant. And they come to Jesus, who is at this point in his ministry, towards the end of his ministry, he is commanding a following everywhere he goes. He's He's been... 
preaching to his disciples that I'm, my kingdom is coming, my hour is coming, I'm coming into my kingdom. And so the disciples are, are well aware that, that Jesus is, is calling himself the Messiah, calling himself the anointed one, the coming king. And so one who is on tap to be the next king of Israel doesn't need to be bothered with the insignificant. He doesn't need to be bothered with, with children. They're not worth his time. But Jesus rebukes the disciples, communicating to the disciples that which I that which you expected me to reject, that is who I am accepting. He rebukes the disciples. And what I think is interesting is Jesus doesn't simply gather all the children together and bless them. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Mark, chapter 10, and I want us to understand. What took place here? Mark chapter 10. This is Mark's account of the exact same event. Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 16. And he took them into his arms, and he began blessing them, laying his hand upon them. Now, if we read this literally, According to the, the, the pronouns and the verbs in the Greek, what this conveys to us is that Jesus stopped. He sat down. And one by one, he took the children into his arms. And he hugged them. And he prayed for them. And he laid his hands upon them. And then he took the next child into his arms. And he loved them. And he prayed with them. And he, he took the next child into his arms. It's, it's almost like a Santa Claus picture. You take your kids to the mall and, and you send them up on Santa Claus's lap and, and each one of them gets a moment where they crawl on top of Santa's lap and they tell Santa what they want for Christmas. This is the image that we have. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God, very God, the creator of the universe, taking time, stopping, telling his disciples, you don't know what you're talking about. Go over there and do whatever you need to do because I am going to take my time and spend it with that which is rejected and disdained by this world. That which is, is considered insignificant, that which can, is considered to have no value. I am going to spend time and love and pray for these children. That's the image that we get. That Jesus takes time with each child that he he loves them he 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 hugs them he prays for them we see that that's the picture that we see that the disciples expected jesus to reject the children he's more important he's got too many things to do more important things to do but he takes time and spends it with each child and immediately following this instance we see the rich young ruler Let's go back to Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> Verse 16. And behold, one came to him and said, Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now, apparently the rich young ruler was absent uh, during the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus spent his entire Sermon on the Mount telling that it's not about the letter of the law that you keep, but it's about the spirit of the law. Nevertheless, we get here to verse 16, and the rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life? What must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Now, let me put this to you in 21st century uh, church terms. We have a very wealthy individual, the guy that owns his private jet. He shows up at church and he walks up to you and he says, what do I have to do to be a church member here? What do we do? We grab the bulletin, we, 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 we say, you know, well, here, you, you know, we grab the uh, membership card, we say, well, fill this out, you, you know, hurry up, say this prayer, uh, you know, when the, when the preacher, when at the end of the service, you need know, to walk down the aisle, you need to do, we want to quickly give him a set of instructions, a list of, to, of things to do, so that we can make sure that this guy becomes a part of our church. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And if somebody comes to us and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's our response? Say this prayer. Repeat after me. Go join the church. You need to get baptized. You need, and, and we begin to give them a list of what they should do and what they should not do. How they can become a member. And we make sure that we tell them about the offering envelopes and the chairs. I want us to hear his question because I believe that we ask this question without even asking this question. Look at verse 16. Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? How can I earn God's favor? What can I do to get to obtain eternal life don't we ask that question every day in our lives whether we ask it audibly or whether we think it what can I do that God may be satisfied with me what can I do that I may make God happy what can I do that I may earn his favor? What can I do that I, may, that I may garner the favor of God? Well, let me encourage you, church. Salvation has never been based upon what you can do, and it has always been based on what has been done for you. Let me say that one more time so that it can sink in because we're hard-headed. Salvation has never been based upon what we can do, and it has always been based on what has been done for us. There is nothing, nothing that we can ever do to earn, to obtain the favor of God. Nothing. This point of his question is further reinforced when he has a follow-up question. When Jesus has a follow-up question, he says, he says, we'll obey the commandments. And notice what he says. Look at verse 18. He asked Jesus, which commandments? Jesus says, you want to you earn the favor of God? Be perfect. Do what God has commanded you to do. And he says, which ones? <clears throat> I've got three wonderful children. Wonderful children. Nicholas is my most free-spirited child. He doesn't worry about anything ever. His hair could be on fire, and he's okay with that. Well, because of that, Nicholas's room is always a disaster. It looks like a bomb exploded. There are Legos 
There are, there are you know, action figures. There are Hot Wheels. There are uh, you know, bits and pieces of stuff that goes to stuff that I don't even know what it is. But his room is, is, is littered with, with stuff. And in fact, most of the time, we just keep his door closed and never go in there. And, and because we know that if we walk in, it's like walking into a landmine. You don't know whether you're going to you know, step on whatever, and, and it's, it's dangerous. Well, about once a month, we'll get tired of his room, and we'll say, Nicholas, go clean your room. And he'll go in, and he'll spend about, he'll spend about you know, two minutes in there, and he'll come out. And he goes, okay, my room's clean. And then we'll ask this question. We'll ask this question. Is your room clean the way mommy will clean it? Or the way Nicholas will clean it. And he'll go, um, I'll be right back. And then he runs into his room, and he comes out about two minutes later, and he says, okay, it's all clean. And we say, okay, I'm going check. And he says, wait, 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 I'll be right back. And he goes in, and about three hours later, he'll come out, and he'll say, okay, my room's clean, and it'll be spotless. And it'll be spotless. But when he came out the first time, he said, he said, my room's clean. I have, I have picked up everything. Then we asked him the next question. We said, really? Is it really clean the way mommy would clean it? He said, let me go check. We went back and came back a few minutes later. And then when he said, he said, it's really clean. Then we said, well, I'm going to go check. He said, wait a second. They're really going to come look and see. They're probably going to open the closet. They're probably going to look under the bed. They're probably going to, to really expect my room to be clean. That's the question that the rich young ruler asked. He said, are you going to check? He said, are you going to come and look in my room? Which ones? Which commandments am I supposed to keep? And we ask that question all the time. We say, God... What do I really have to do to obtain eternal life? I mean, I know your word says husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, but, I mean, really? You know, even when she hates me, even when she's throwing stuff at me, even when she's cursing at me, even whenever there is, there is this animosity between husband and wife, I'm supposed to love her selflessly and sacrificially? Really? Are you going to come check? I know your word says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, but you don't know who my neighbor is. You don't know who, who, who I live next to. You don't know who shows up at my church. Am I really supposed to love that guy? Are you going to check? He asked Jesus, he says, which ones, which is a revelation of his heart. He says, which ones? He says, I've cleaned my room. I've done everything that, that everybody else is going to look at, but my heart is the problem, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. James chapter 4, 6 tells us this. It says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if we contrast the children with the rich young ruler, the children had no pride. They had no no. They assumed no stature. They, they, had no, they had no expectation. They came to Jesus humbly, 
crawled up in his lap and confessed their utter dependency upon Jesus. And he loved them. He welcomed them. He embraced them. The rich young ruler came to Jesus with an assumption of his own piety, of his own qualifications, of his own achievement. And he said, which ones? Jesus said, gave him a list of commandments. Notice what he said in Matthew chapter 19. He said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich young ruler responded in pride, I have done this. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't slept with anybody. I haven't lied, which I find hard to believe. I've honored my father and mother. I've loved my neighbor. I have done this. Then Jesus reveals his sinful heart. He asks him this question, verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor, who, according to Jesus' earlier teachings, the poor is his neighbor, is it not? And Jesus has just made the statement, you shall love your neighbor. Go sell your possessions. Give it to your neighbor. Give it to the poor. And you'll find treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. His grief reveals his heart. He loves his wealth more than he loves his neighbor. Jesus longs for our humility. Go back with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with this statement, which I believe reinforces James chapter 4, verse 6, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The very first beatitude, the very first thing that Jesus says as he begins his Sermon on the Mount is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who realize their spiritual depravity. Blessed are those who are like the children, completely and utterly dependent upon me, not like the rich young ruler who think that they've got it all figured out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive mercy. Jesus longs to see our utter dependence upon him for everything. Jesus' commandment, to the rich young ruler, reveals the heart of the rich young ruler. He says, keep the commandment. The very first commandment is that thou shalt have no other gods before me. And Jesus' statement to the rich young ruler reveals that he has, he has broken not only all of the commandments, but he has broken the very first commandment that thou shalt have no other gods before me because he revealed his unwillingness to sell his possessions, revealed that he elevated his possessions and his wealth over being obedient to the Lord. He had made it an idol. And as I flashed these pictures up this morning, every one of those pictures can be indicative of someone who has made an idol and worshipped that idol. The difference is, it's the drug addict. 
is idle is apparent. It's seen by everyone. He wears it on the track marks in his arms. He wears it on the, the physical the physical destruction that the drugs have done to his body. He wears it in the, the destruction that, that the addiction has done to his family. But the workaholic who spends 60 hours a week at the office and who neglects his family chasing the almighty dollar, his idolatry is his work. And in our society, that is acceptable and even in some circles commended. They're both addicted. They're both suffering idolatry. The difference is in the church, one's accepted and one's not. The drug addict comes in, we make sure we keep our eye on him. We make sure we know where he sits. We make sure we don't get too close when the workaholic comes in we want to make sure that we befriend him and that we welcome him because he has something to offer us notice Jesus' Jesus's admonition to the disciples Jesus gets done the disciples are blown away. Jesus has just stopped, rebuked the disciples, accepted that which they expected him to reject, rejected that which they expected him to accept. Notice Jesus' lack of response when the rich young ruler hung his head and walked away because he had much wealth. Look at verse uh, chapter 19. Verse 22, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. Verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, what did Jesus not do? He didn't go chase that guy and say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait a second, we can, we, we can work something out. I mean, I mean, you know, I know you've got a lot of wealth, I know you've, you've, you, you've been a keeper of the law, you know, let us, let us work something out. What did Jesus do? He let him leave. He said, there's the door. If you don't want to submit yourself to my lordship, if you don't want to allow me to be the lord of your life, you can take your money and you can go. Because newsflash, Jesus does not need our money. Jesus does not need your money, church. The scripture tells us that he is the creator of all things. That God has a cattle on a thousand hills. That God needs no resource. Because God is the source of all. When we participate in ministry, when we give, when we serve, we get to participate in what God's doing. God doesn't need us. He chooses by His great grace and by His great mercy to use broken vessels, to use our resources, which He has given us to begin with. But He lets the rich young ruler leave that blew the minds of the disciples. He let him leave. Then the disciples look at Jesus, verse 25, and they say, who can be saved? In their world, in their understanding, that which was rejected, 
that which they expected Jesus to reject, that which was disdained by society, were these children. That which were accepted by society, that which they expected to be the religious elite, was this this rich man. Because in Old Testament theology, the blessings of God, physical, monetary blessings, were rewarded for spiritual obedience. That was an Old Testament theology. It was an Old Testament truth that monetary, monetary blessings, physical blessings, followed spiritual obedience. In the New Testament, we don't see that. That is a New Testament transition that does not transition from Old Testament to New Testament. In the New Testament, there is no monetary blessing that is directly associated with spiritual obedience. That's not to say that if we are spiritually obedient that we will not be be able to be monetarily successful. But what the scripture teaches us is that the two are not directly tied together as they were in the Old Testament. We see there are many people in the New Testament that have wealth. We see Joseph of Arimathea who was able to use his blessings, use his monetary blessings to bury Jesus. We see men like Nicodemus. We see men like Paul who was financially well off we see the the mary and martha that they were able to to they had means we see that that there were those who had means that worshiped jesus and that that but the direct the direct connection the direct correlation between spiritual obedience and monetary blessing does not find itself in the new testament in fact what does the new testament say the new testament says He who wishes to save his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake in the gospel shall find it. For he who wishes to save his life will lose it. Jesus said, Seek ye first my kingdom, and all these things shall be added unto you. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that we are to sacrificially give up everything, and we're to trust God. Jesus' admonition to the disciples was that salvation is impossible. You can't do it. I want to point out that Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Jesus is not talking about a narrow gate on the eastern side of Jerusalem, for that didn't exist. That phraseology for the eastern gate in Jerusalem didn't exist in Jesus' day. Jesus is talking about a camel going through the eye of a needle. And he tells his disciples, it's impossible. Can't happen. But that which is impossible for man is possible with God. You can't earn God's salvation. You can't earn God's approval. You can't do it. You can't earn God's favor. Because I have already done it. That's the message of the gospel, church. We can't garner the favor of God. We can't buy His approval. We can't do enough good, give enough, serve enough, teach enough to earn the favor of God because Jesus has already been fully satisfied in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Our only response is to fall on our face before Jesus and say, have mercy. Have mercy. And when we see the tattoos and the piercings 
and the drug addict. I pray that we would see as God sees and not as man sees. It is easy to accept someone whose sin is similar to ours. May we have the heart and the mind of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your word oftentimes is hard. Or may you convict us of our prejudices, of our hard hearts. And may you give us grace. Lord, there may be some here who've been trying to be good enough and trying to do something to earn the favor of God. If that's you this morning, may you realize there's nothing you can do because Jesus has already done it. He lived a perfect life. He died your death. He was buried. And he rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave that you might have eternal life. May we stop trying to be good enough and trust in what Jesus has done. Maybe you're here this morning and you know that you have been jaded towards those who are not like you. Maybe you need to come down to this altar and repent. Maybe you need to get on your knees right where you're at and repent. Maybe God is calling you to serve Him here at Redeemer be a part of what he is doing right here at this local body whatever it is that the holy spirit is speaking to your heart this morning may you not leave this place without doing business with the lord god we pray your holy spirit to have his freedom in this place this morning in jesus name we pray amen